HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Somerset County Tourism. Hear stories from local brewers and distillers from the New Jersey Sip and See Trail on episode 647 of Beer Sessions Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. In each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping to shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, George Hajar, Associate Editor at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world, world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Teresa Black, founder and CEO of Bon Appetit, a 100% plant-based chocolate brand harnessing the powers of naturally sweet fruits like dates to add complexity to the chocolate without sacrificing health. All the chocolate produced is organic, paleo, plant-based, vegan, and free from added sugars and emulsifiers and more. Before starting in specialty food, Teresa worked as a naval officer. She is also a licensed attorney. Welcome. We're so excited to have you on the show. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So uh, let's dive right into it. Um, So I remember seeing you speak at the Summer Fancy Food Show, and I was very struck by your story about starting the company. Can you talk a bit about what motivated you to begin Bon Appetit? Yes. Uh, So I actually was uh, in law school when I had my daughter. And as soon as I graduated from law school, I was contacted by the reserves, the Navy reserves, and they told me I was being activated for a year. Um, so I deployed a one week before my daughter's second birthday and mm-hmm. I'm a single parent. So you can imagine how difficult that was. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, while she lived with my cousin, I deployed, uh, and I, mm-hmm. I cried every single day. 
Like it was, mm-hmm. it was one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, yeah, I, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't deploy again and I can't leave my daughter again. Uh, even the idea of coming back home and working as a brand new attorney, working 80 hour weeks, I was just like, I know some people have to do it, but I, I can't, especially not mm-hmm. after being gone mm-hmm. for a whole year. So I was like, all right, I need to start my own business, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously a jump, right? But I don't know why my brain went straight <laughs> there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so before I deployed, my daughter had a very, very strict diet. And um, while I was gone, my family, because she was living with my cousin, but she was close to all of my family. And they're just like, oh my goodness, poor baby, you've been deprived for all these years. Here's the candy and ice cream that you never had. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, of course, I eventually learned about about this this betrayal. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, we're going to do, uh, when I get back home, I'll start a better for you uh, dessert company where I can make sure that you have the desserts that you fell in love with while I was deployed, um, but they're going to be healthy. Uh, but you're not going to know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, that's that's what I set off to do. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I feel like that you, with your company, are, is also a, you're able to bring sort of that idea of like a better for you for children as well, um, just as you've done with your daughter, sort of like bring that out uh, into the world. Um, and then also, I remember uh, at the Fancy Food Show, you mentioned uh, starting your food journey with ice cream mm-hmm. and then pivoted towards chocolate. Can you talk about sort of your your initial interest in ice cream and your decision to pivot? Yeah. So when I was a kid, honestly, I loved ice cream. And uh, mm-hmm. every science experiment that we had for like the science fair, literally, I'm not kidding with you, it involved ice cream in some way. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so I was just like, but as I got older, you know, uh, I hate, like, I don't like very, very sweet things anymore. Um, but yeah. ice cream, like literally all ice cream, it just tastes like flavored sugar. Uh, and mm-hmm. companies are hiding the, the lack of flavor in their ice cream with just adding, by just adding more sugar. So it's just like, you can't mm-hmm. see beyond, you can't taste beyond the sweetness. Um, mm-hmm. And so my gelato was also no added sugar. I sweetened it with agave and dates. And um, it was just a way of having the perfect sweetness in your ice cream um, without any of the bad stuff. Um, but you yeah. know, COVID happened. I had a shop, uh, we opened December, 2019. Um, mm-hmm. so COVID happened a few months later and we actually had still, we were profitable that year. It was just that we were on a temporary lease. And so yeah. our lease ended and I was just like, all right, well, we're going to leave this. Um, and I had moved to an e-commerce model and e-commerce and ice cream are not cheap. Like it was costing me yeah. over a hundred dollars. Um, like literally over a hundred dollars, uh, each time that I, sent out a uh a package of, of gelato so it was just like all right this is not sustainable um i was making the chocolate mm-hmm. for the gelato um because mm-hmm. no, no chocolate without you know all that all the trash in it existed so um i was just like i wonder if people will eat these bars um so mm-hmm. i tested it at a local grocery store and it became the mm-hmm. number one chocolate seller at that store so i was just like all right i guess we can pivot Wow, that's so amazing. Um, and that's also, that's great that you had the opportunity to test at that store um, as well. And yeah, so yeah, definitely with with frozen items, it can be very difficult to um, create a D2C model. Do you imagine a future where Bonapis Suite may incorporate ice cream once again? I mean, yeah. I mean, the ice cream, honestly, I still, to this day, I'm still getting emails mm-hmm. or calls. How do I get to your gelato shop? Um, if, you Google, <laughs> if you Google best gelato in Chantilly, our company will still pop mm-hmm. up. 
Um, it's just, Aww, that's just, yeah. <laughs> um, and people are just like, I can't believe you stopped making gelato. And, and I didn't know this, but apparently like ice cream lovers are like ice mm-hmm. cream lovers. They don't like chocolate as well. Like some people will eat chocolate, you know, if they, if they love ice cream, mm-hmm. they love ice cream. So they don't, they don't like go back and forth. Um, and the same thing yeah. for chocolate. Like if you love chocolate, like you're a chocoholic, you're not just going to like, you're not going to buy pints and pints of ice cream. Um, so mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah. Uh, so the people mm-hmm. who, who who loved ice cream, they hate me now, or me personally. They're just like, please, <laughs> please bring it back. <laughs> we need more of the. We need more of your ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what would you say? What about chocolates and sweets excites you the most? Um, honestly, my so my daughter. Back to her again. Uh, she's allergic mm-hmm. to soy, uh, and mm-hmm. so most chocolate has soy in it. And so mm-hmm. when. Um, like she wasn't really able, I mean, she, she ate chocolate when my family gave it to her, but she wasn't supposed to, uh, because it makes her break out and stuff like that. Um, she gets really, really yeah. bad rash. So, I mean, for me, it's that she now loves chocolate because she finally gets to eat it, you know? Um, because soy free mm-hmm. chocolates mm-hmm. prior to me making it, like, it's not something a kid would eat. Like they don't, it's not like they're going to pick it up and be like, Oh, please mommy. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, so like, I remember I, I thought was, I thought I was doing this great thing by buying these soy free um, chocolate chips, but they were also mm-hmm. like gluten free and 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 vegan and all this other stuff, and so it just made it to a taste where it was just like kids just did not like it and they wouldn't eat it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so when I made mine, I made mine with my child in mind, right? So mm-hmm. most chocolate is made by like a chocolatier who's been taught the recipes and the formulas and like this is how you do yeah. it, this is how you don't do it. And I just said, what what was what my daughter eat? Like, you know, what was she eat? Yeah. Uh, and that's how I made it. I didn't go from the mindset of like a chocolatier. And that's why my product is so much different than all the other chocolates out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, it ended up being sort of kid tested and approved from the get go. <laughs> exactly. It's like kicks except for mm-hmm. chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so yeah, can you also, yeah, tell me a little bit more about the chocolates. Uh, you, yeah, you discussed quite a bit, but do you have a favorite product that, that you make? Um, my favorite is better than milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And does your daughter have a favorite? She always says that she likes better than milk chocolate more, but whenever she gets mm-hmm. um, deep dark, she'll eat that one. And she's just like, mommy, this mm. tastes just like milk chocolate. I was like, no, it doesn't. But it's because she doesn't know. <laughs> she doesn't know what milk chocolate tastes like, you know? So she's, yeah. she's just basing it off of, I don't even know, like hearing me talk about better than milk chocolate, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, her, her favorite is like deep dark or the golden. Uh, and then... Mm-hmm. And then my favorite is better than milk chocolate. But I actually, I created a bar called Sutnut Berry. Uh, and I named mm-hmm. it that because my friend, Ken Sutton, he uh, asked me to make it make it for him because he always told me he loved um, Cadbury's fruit and nut bar, but he hated the almonds yeah. in it. And he's just like, mm-hmm. I really wish <laughs> I could have that bar with, with uh, cashews instead of almonds. And so I made it for him and I tasted it. And oh my goodness, like, uh, it mm-hmm. tastes like a raisinette, except I know it's good for me. And I love raisins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so it's just like, oh my goodness, I can eat this nonstop because like it only has superfoods in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's yeah, my that's, favorite that's bar great. by far. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great uh, anecdote as well. Um, also, uh, while we're on the subject of the chocolates, I was so struck by the the um, design of the chocolate bars. I think the the color scheme is is beautiful, and I love the tree. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about like went into what went into like the packaging of it? 
Mm-hmm. So actually the tree, so my original, um, my original designs I made myself, uh, and then mm-hmm. I won a contest with CA fortune. Um, mm-hmm. and they, um, redesigned my packaging for me, but actually that logo specifically before I won that contest, I actually already paid someone to redesign my logo. Um, and mm-hmm. I told them, I was like, I want a tree of life. And I want, like, I, so I designed it and they just drew it out for me. I was like, I want a tree of life. I want Lady Justice holding the scales of justice on the inside, like as, as, mm-hmm. the, uh, as the trunk of the tree. Um, mm-hmm. And I want the, so our original logo is actually in the base of the tree. It's the seed that the tree grew from. Uh, oh, and wow. So, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> it, it's super cool because, like, the original logo mm-hmm. was... Uh, so actually, I'm, I'm, I actually remember now, I, my original logo I made, then somebody that worked at Chobani, they did my new logo. Uh, and so the new mm-hmm. logo was an ice cream cone. It looked like the double ice cream cone, and so it made a heart shape. But in reality, mm-hmm. what it was, was a big cone holding a baby cone. So it was like me, and mm-hmm. they represented me and my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. And so now that's the, the seed at the root of the, uh, of the tree of life in our, in our tree. And the reason that mm-hmm. Lady Justice is our um, is our trunk is because all of our packaging has has uh, facts about social justice on them, um, and the mm-hmm. idea is that people will read our packaging, read these facts, and then demand change. Um, and all of these facts mm-hmm. are facts that are bipartisan, so it doesn't pull people apart; it brings people together behind a common cause. Um, oh wow! Yeah. And then if you look in the yeah, tree, that's... like in the in the branches and the leaves, you'll see a symbol. One symbol is for diversity, and the other symbol is for unity. Um, because only mm-hmm. together can we solve the problems that exist in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that's that's the idea behind the tree. And then the original logo, actually, Lady Justice had straight hair, which she usually has. And I was just like, no, like I want her to have curly hair <laughs> like I have. And so they went back and mm-hmm. changed it. Uh, and so now she's a, a Lady Justice that's representative of me. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, so while while we're sort of on the the subject of diverse ownership, um, diverse buyer, sorry, retail buyers seem to be looking to source product from suppliers with diverse ownership. There seems to have been in the past two years, and especially this year, more of a push for that. How has that, like, how has your experience been with that? Do you feel that um, these retailers have been genuine? Have you been able to seek out opportunities through this, or do you have any other thoughts? So I can just give you my experiences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I too saw that a lot of retailers were saying that they wanted to increase diversity in their stores. Um, mm-hmm. Action on this, however, has been few and far between. Um, Walmart mm-hmm. specifically actually created an entire program. Um, and I honestly, I didn't get into Walmart through this program, but I know that they created it mm-hmm. right after I got in. And they, um, so basically they are seeking out diversely owned companies and then they're giving them they're assigning them mentors um within walmart mm-hmm. to help help them um navigate the world of of of, uh, of walmart because it's it's very complicated and from experience a person yeah. who had to do it by myself it was not uh, it was very hard um but walmart actually mm-hmm. they put their money where their mouth was and created a program um companies like uh i'm not going to name any companies but like one of the biggest or mm-hmm. the biggest uh grocery store chain in the country they said that they were going to increase their um, their supplier diversity, but they didn't actually create a plan in order to do that. Um, and unfortunately, that's yeah. what most of the companies are doing. They're saying something, but they're not taking any action in order to make sure that it happens. Um, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you have companies like like UNFI uh, create like they have a diversity program now, and I think they've had it for a while. But they at least now I know they they know for a fact that they have one. 
Um, and they, they, mm-hmm. they uh, kind of like, they have a, a program where they kind of help diverse owned founders uh, grow within Unify. And same thing for Kehi. Um, and they don't leave them out on their own. So they, they assign them a person that's going to help them out through the process and also gives them like uh, a little bit longer to uh, get traction. Um, because a lot mm-hmm. of brands, once you get into mm-hmm. distributors, if you don't move as fast as you're supposed to, you get kicked out. But they give you the diverse founders a little bit more time. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like, uh, I mean, a lot of, like, I mean, SFA did a great, SFA, uh, New Hope, I mean, both of those programs, um, they created a pavilion for minority-owned uh, founded, founded brands. Uh, and they gave them mm-hmm. a platform. Uh, and it mm-hmm. was, I mean, it's been life-changing. I mean, honestly... You meet, so I met so many buyers and, um, that I'd never, never would have, have been able to get in contact with, without, without this program, without these programs mm-hmm. and these opportunities. And it's been, it literally changed my business. Like I went from like three or two stores to like 200 stores. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's been crazy, uh, because of it. And then what else do we have? Let's see. Uh, I had one company who, uh, it's an online platform that, that allows you to talk to buyers. Um, and mm-hmm. so they were having like these uh, online uh, buyer fairs, I guess you would call them, where the buyers could say that they wanted to speak with you. And then you, they would set up this online forum for you to speak to them. Well, you had to pay $300 mm-hmm. just to get access to that website, right? Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, for, that, for that one meeting, for those, for those 30 minutes uh, of time, you had mm-hmm. to pay $300 for and then one of these grocery stores, it was actually a, a pharmacy-based store, like a, um, one of the one of the two top ones, or one of the three top ones. And they said it was a diversity; it was only for diverse, uh, diversely owned businesses. Um, and they mm-hmm. they made, I paid three hundred dollars for this meeting and get into the meeting, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we want to bring you into our stores." Now, what you have to do is we're going to do a test with you at fifty stores. And this test, mm-hmm. what's involved in this test is that you provide us with free product. For thirty, oh, wow. for for I think three months, yeah, only free product for three months, and I, I was like, okay, well, what's the total amount of product? Oh, well, we won't know until you get into the store. So until they start selling and see how fast your brand is selling, we won't know how much we're going to need. And it was just like, wow. wouldn't that determine if we failed or passed the test? Um, they're just like, yeah. well, they're like, well, we just can't give you a number. It's just going to be three months. Do you have to sign off saying that you're okay with this? And then I was just like, mm-hmm. well, I just got into Walmart and I'm I'm in to Mom's Organic, and I'm just like, both of these stores are going to capture all the target audiences that you could possibly ever have. So can we just take mm-hmm. the numbers from their stores to see if it will be, uh, if it will resonate with your company and they're just, they just stopped emailing me. So once I told them I was yeah. not giving them free product for three months, they're just like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. Um, but like the problem yeah, is that, that must... I can't... sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I was just going to remark on the fact that that's such a large barrier to entry for so many, um, for so many brands. Well, it's even, it's unheard of. That's not even something that, yeah. like, one free fill is something that is, like, universal, mm-hmm. but three months yeah. of free product, that's insane. Yeah. And it's, it, the thing that really yeah. bothered me was that they were targeting minority-owned businesses. So, basically, what yeah. they were going to do is put you out of business, and then that'd be the end of you. But they got all free products, so yeah. it didn't matter. I was a part of another program that was, uh, it was a pitch competition for minority-owned founders only, and um, I won first place. I was supposed to get $350,000. Um, mm-hmm. and it was, it was supposed to be in like a convertible note. Well, the documents, mm-hmm. I'm also an attorney, as I said. So I read the yeah. contract as an attorney because most of the, the like diverse owned founders, they can't, their companies can't afford legal, legal, yeah. um, help. And Support. so mm-hmm. I read this contract and it said that they would essentially 
own my company. I couldn't raise any money without their permission. They could request any wow. documents from me that they wanted and they could share it with anyone who they chose. I did, they did not need my permission mm-hmm. to do it. Um, that mm-hmm. I couldn't sell in bulk, which is how we sell to, to like, um, to, uh, that's how, like the primary way that CPG sells is to distributors. Yeah. Um, it mm-hmm. said that, uh, it was just like, they would own all of my, everything that belonged to my company, they would, they would have in collateral, yeah. um, and, uh, perpetually, mm-hmm. like there's no, there was no deadline on anything. Uh, and it was just like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. And people, I was like, and I mm-hmm. told them, I was like, I can't sign this. I need you to make changes. And like, well, if you don't sign it exactly as is, we're not giving you the money. And I was just yeah. like, how many other people have signed this? Like everybody has. And I'm just like, it just uh, yeah. once again, upset me because they're taking advantage of a group of people. And it's just, I don't know. It was just, it was crazy to me. Yeah. And especially under the guise of trying to do something completely different. Exactly. Um, yeah. That, yeah. So that's one way I feel like you, 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 you talked about how your uh, experience in law has prepared you for, for, to navigate this world. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any other sort of instances where your background in either the Navy or uh, in law has helped you with your business? I mean, I would say that my background in the Navy has helped more than anything, um, primarily mm-hmm. because Navy, I feel like military personnel are just the best entrepreneurs because we don't give up. <laughs> and it's one of those <laughs> things like the mission has to be accomplished. So if the first mm-hmm. way that you were trying doesn't work, you find a new one. Um, so like, just mm-hmm. like with me with the gelato, like the first way, I mean, yeah, it was a good product. Yeah, people loved it. But like financially, how much it was costing us, it wouldn't have worked. And so I pivoted, mm-hmm. you know, so it was just like some people might have just closed up shop and just walked, like moved on, like, okay, I'm done. Um, yeah. But like the military teaches you perseverance um, and to accomplish the mission. And um, yeah, so I mean, I think that that has actually helped me more than anything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that that makes sense. Definitely. Um, yeah, so we're almost out of time. But before you go, we'd like you to participate in our final segment, Take 5. Five questions for our guest. First, let's pause for a break. I'm Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio on HRN. I recently hosted a live podcasting event with local beer and spirits makers from beautiful Somerset County, New Jersey. We spoke on the farm that is home to Flounder Brewery and Belmar Distillery, one of the most beautiful stops along the Sip and See Craft Beverage Trail. To me, those two worlds, brewery and distillery, are extremely complementing businesses, especially in a unique location like this. So it immediately helped this become a destination to have a great experience, whether it's the beer atmosphere we've got going here in the old barns or the great experience you can have in there with these incredible cocktails that are created there. It's complementary to each other. You can have two completely different experiences all within a 10-foot walk from each other. Before the event, I was able to tour the area and see the historic Bridge Tender's house along the serene DNR Canal, walk the bike and hiking trails, and take in the lush farmland. Then we settled into the centuries-old Dutch barn turned brewery for a lively discussion. It was always important for us to create our space, our livelihood that we want to share with everybody else, of being a community-centric location. It is what makes us a brewery in this state different from a barn or restaurant. Um, you know, we're obviously family-friendly here. Um, we have a lot of different groups that have their meetings here during the week. We just really want to become a community hub. You can listen to this episode of Beer Sessions Radio, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to Somerset County Tourism for supporting this episode. 
Learn more about the Sip and See Passport Program at visitsomersetnj.org. That's visit S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T-N-J.org. Hello again and welcome back. I'm George Hajar of SFA speaking with Teresa Black of Bon Appetit. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment, Take 5. One, what's your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? Uh, the diversity, honestly, um, which is, uh, when I went to the show, it was just like, there are people from all over the world and food from all over the world. And it was just amazing. I'd never seen anything mm-hmm. like that before. Mm-hmm. Two, what's one thing that the SFA has made easier for you as a specialty food business owner? Well, the FSA um, provided a platform for minority owned businesses at their show. And we had a center mm-hmm a center um, platform. And so it was an opportunity of a lifetime because you, you got to meet with hundreds and thousands of buyers, you know, and that's not something that you just get on a regular day. Mm-hmm. And three, if you weren't running a business, what would you be doing? I would probably still be practicing law um, or be in the Navy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Four, what's one piece of advice you'd give to a new food business? Hmm. I would say the best piece of advice I could give is to start at a farmer's market um, because that way you know that you have a customer base, you know that people like your product, and you can get feedback um, by talking Mm. to the customers that are buying your product. And it's like invaluable because sometimes people put in tens of thousands of dollars before they even find out that, hey, this product has too much salt or or, um, Mm -hmm. this is too sweet, you know, but when you're working at the farmer's market, you're making it it every week uh, to order and you can talk to the people that are picking it up. And you can ask them specifically, like, what do you like about this? What do you dislike? What would you change? What would you keep the same? Um, and this helps you get all that research out of the way up front. Um, you can even ask about your packaging. You know, you can ask all the questions that you possibly have because it's a very um, open environment for that. Um, it prevents you from wasting mm-hmm. money. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good piece of advice. Thank you. And lastly, how do you define specialty food? Hmm. <laughs> this is what <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, Save the best for last. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would I would define it as a product that you cannot just find anywhere. Um, and mm-hmm. like, so say for example, um, I mean, honestly, I think diverse food is the specialty food of our of our generation because of the fact that you can't mm-hmm. just go to any store and pick it up. Um, you have to go to a specialty mm-hmm. store. Um, so anything that you have in like that section of the grocery store that's just like we have this, but nobody else does. Um, I would say that that's mm-hmm. like specialty food. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And um, yes, a big thanks to Teresa Black for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And you can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.